Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Jen Giles, a registered dietitian who specializes in sports nutrition. Jen and I had a great conversation today, really diving into how we as athletes balance our food intake with our activities, how we can integrate foods that decrease inflammation to improve our recovery. And then she gives some specific recommendations, which I find super helpful for food timing as well as pre and post workout um, food intake ideas. So whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Jen, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Awesome. I'm excited too. Um, I, I don't think we can ever get too much information on nutrition, especially when it comes to performance, which I, which is why I'm excited to talk with you today. Um, but first and foremost, before we really dive into the content, who are you? <laughs> My name is Jennifer Giles and I agree with you. I don't think there's any way that we can get too much information. And I, I feel like this is a topic that the information is always changing. So we really have to be on top of it. So the more we talk about it, the more we can get a gist of what's going on and what's right for our individual selves too. But I am a sports nutritionist. I'm a board certified specialist in sports dietetics. I have been working in this field for 23 years. I have, I also have a master's degree. I have a master's degree in nutrition, but I also have one in exercise physiology. So I like to mix the two because it's just a perfect combination. And I own my own private practice called eat for sport where I counsel athletes of all ages, abilities, sports, and about how to balance their nutrition with their training. Very cool. And it's so true. Like, I think nutrition more than other areas of like performance change more often than anything else. And it makes me laugh. I had a conversation with my brother. He, a couple of years ago, he's like, do you remember when you were in college and you told me this and you were getting all upset because I wouldn't believe you. <laughs> and it had to do with nutrition. I was like, yes, I do remember that conversation. And it was something like totally opposite of what I like talk about now. And it was just really amusing at the time, but it does show how much things change and we have to adapt to it as well as we learn. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's some things change, but I think it's that we're gaining more knowledge because it's a very exercise physiology and nutrition is ever, we're just learning more and more. The research is just building and building and building. And there wasn't a lot of research 20 years ago. Now there's a ton. So I don't know that it's, it's what changes as it is what we know now that we didn't know then. So I feel like the new research is what we really should listen to always. Cause that's the best form of information that we have. Yeah. But I did the same thing. I've told people a million things 20 years ago that aren't true now because I was basing it off the research. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's dive in first. Um, we really want to focus on the performance side of things today, since that's what you are absolutely love doing are really good at. Um, and I think it's really hard for a lot of people to um, do what I want to talk about first, which is balanced intake and activity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's even harder for females who we start in like middle school, high school, where like thin is what you want. We need to watch what we're eating. And then all of a sudden we're an adult and it's like, no, we're supposed to eat to perform or like regardless of what age, like you need to eat food. Um, so I would love to have you just dive into that. Um, kind of how do we balance our intake with activity and know, like we're eating enough. We're not needing too much. We're not going to get fat, like all of that stuff. Right. Right. I know it's scary, especially as females, because I think we are brought up 
as um, in a restrictive society, you know, like this diet, there's, there was Weight Watchers, there were Slim Fast, there was, you know, a, just a gazillion things when we were younger, I'm probably dating myself a little bit, but, and, and even our moms told us, you know, don't eat more than 1200 calories, because that's what they heard. And I think that was very hurtful to a lot of our behaviors because yes, I still come across females that are like, I need to lose weight. So I, I need to cut out all my carbs or eat zero fat or don't eat breakfast or don't eat after six. Like there's all these crazy rules. We have this mindset, like let's just restrict, restrict, restrict. And actually the complete opposite is true because every time you restrict, you're going to slow down your metabolism. You're not going to burn as many calories. Your body goes into a shutdown mode and then your metabolism slows down. And then we can't, we can't lose weight at all because we get stuck or we hit a plateau. So really the magic bullet, if you're looking to, and I always, I don't even talk about weight loss anymore. I talk about improving body composition. So we're improving our body comp in terms of burning a little bit of fat and gaining lean muscle mass. And that's how we improve our body comp. We're not really losing weight. We're just making changes so that we're stronger and we're faster and we're, we're leaner for sure. And we're more powerful. We have more strength and endurance. That's really what comes down to. And then we're the healthiest athletes we can be. And if you're a healthy athlete, you're going to be an athlete for longer. And that's kind of the whole point, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, balancing. I mean, when you talk about individual nutrition, what we put in our bodies should always reflect what we're doing, what the energy that we're putting out. So what that means is if you're headed to the gym at five o'clock in the morning, we need to get, have a little energy. Food is measured in energy. Calories are a measurement of energy. If you remember back to middle school science, and when we burn <laughs> food over the Bunsen burner, we measured how many calories were burned from that. So food is energy. So meaning if we eat food, we're going to get energy and we're going to have energy to put into our training sessions. So we have to think of food as fuel for our activity all the time. And that comes, breaks down into a, a couple components before, during, and after, and all of it is rel, um, relevant to relative rather to the exercise that we're doing. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, when, when thinking about like that balance and being relative to the activity, how do we, or is it necessary, I guess, to kind of weigh like, all right, today is going to be a harder workout. So I need to eat more tomorrow's going to be an easier workout. I need to eat less. Is that a necessary thing? Or is it kind of like, if we take the overall average, like we're okay, where does that balance fall? Yeah, that's a great question. It is a day by day thing. So, you know, as athletes, we're always either preparing for a workout or recovering from a workout. So it gets a little tricky, but yes, if you have an easy day or an off day, you may need to eat a little bit less, but if you had a really hard day the day before, and you're still recovering from a really high intensity workout the day before you actually may need to eat a little bit more on your recovery day. So it kind of depends on the day before and the day after also. Um, if it's an off day before a race day, the very next day or a competition day, you probably need to increase your intake a little bit, but if it's just a rest day or a couple of rest days, yes, we're not put, expending that much energy. So you pro probably can decrease your intake a little bit, but if you're going into a high intensity workout that day, then you would need to not only increase your intake, but time it appropriate, appropriately to that training session so that you have the maximum energy available at that time of the workout. So you can really nail it. How do we, so on that note, how do we structure food timing? Like, is there like a perfect way to do it? Is it just dependent on the person? Like, what does that look like both kind of pre and post 
workout session. Yeah. Well, textbook says about three hours before a workout, you need to fuel yourself. But so the answer is a little bit twofold and I always call it nutritional CSI. You kind of have to figure out what's going on and, and investigate what works and what doesn't work because some people are really fast metabolizers. So if you eat three hours before workout, you could be totally starving by the time the workout comes and you could have burned through all that fuel already. Therefore you probably need to try two hours before or one hour before some people who eat too close to a workout can get a lot of GI distress. So if that's, um, you, for example, you would need to just figure out, okay, I can't eat an hour before a workout or my stomach's going to be upset. So maybe you would need to go to 90 minutes or two, you know, like it's just a little give and take, but it also depends on the activity. So if you're eating, I have many athletes, for example, who go to CrossFit or um, hit the gym and lift heavy weights for interval training, they can eat, you know, a turkey dinner an hour before that workout, because there's not a lot of impact in lifting weights. But if you're, I have runners, for example, who have to give themselves three hours. So that food is fully digested and absorbed so that they're not getting any stomach or GI upset because of the impact of the running. So it's sport dependent also. So there's no great black and white answer to this, but the best answer is within that three hour period before a workout. And it's a very broad range. You need to fuel yourself for that activity then depending on how long that activity is, you may need to feel yourself during it. For example, mm-hmm. if you're doing a long run um, or a long hike, you definitely have to bring some fuel with you for an hour training session in the gym. You probably don't, you're probably well-fueled going into it. And then the third part of that equation is your recovery afterwards. So, you know, within that 30 minutes to an hour afterwards, you need to recover with fuel so that you can properly control any inflammation or any substrate utilization that's been used so that you can prepare yourself for the next workout the following day. Okay. What are your suggestions for like, if there's a, if it's a CrossFit competition, normally it's like multiple events in a day, like track meets, swim meets going to be the same thing. Some obstacle course racers will do multiple races in a day. What do you do as far as like or, and maybe it's just like, depends on the person as far as like what you can even tolerate after activity, but what are the suggestions for like, what types of foods to get in? Like when you do have maybe like an hour or two between your events? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Cause you're right. You do always need to refuel because you don't want to show up at your second event or competition, you know, behind the eight ball. So you really need to keep track of that too. And really it's a balance. So your big nutrients are your macronutrients, right? Macro means big. Those are your big three. And then your little nutrients are your micronutrients. Those are the little ones, vitamins and minerals, fiber and water that help the big ones. So those are the two things you really need to consider and think about on a day where you have multiple events, I would focus on the macros because those are going to be the ones that provide calories slash energy that you will need for that competition. So in that case, it's protein, carbs, and fat. It sounds, you know, elementary talking about this, but so many people miss the boat when it comes to this and between competitions, especially say an obstacle competition. And again, it's going to differ between sports, but an obstacle competition, I would have a little bit of all three of those macronutrients in between so that you can do a couple of things. Protein is going to help you recover from the muscle, the intensity that your muscles had worked before and prep you for the competition coming up carbohydrates. Cause you're depleted your carb- carbohydrate store in that session. You need some more into the second session and fats will just help you keep fuller for longer. So you don't get hungry 
in that second competition and also going to control some inflammation that occurs because you're really working hard that day where you have two competitions, you're asking a lot of your body. So you need to control some inflammation that's going on there too. Okay. And then like end of day when like you've obviously exerted more than you normally would on a training session. Um, and once again, it's going to vary depending on like how much more you're exerting yourself, but same thing, kind of just making sure we get a balance of carbs, protein, fats, or is there kind of a difference there? It's pretty much the same. I actually, I, in an ideal world, every single time you eat, whether it's a competition day, a double event day, a rest day, every meal and snack should have a combination of all three. Now, is that always going to happen? No. So as long as you get two, then you're doing good and, and balanced along the day. So you don't want to just get, you know, carbs and protein all day long, but you do want to get maybe carbs and protein for breakfast and then carbs and protein and fat for lunch. And then maybe carbs and protein again for your afternoon. So, you know, like just toggle it throughout the whole day. But if you balance it as much as possible, then you're going to ensure that you get all the nutrients that your body needs for any given day. I know there's still like, we're working on debunking it all, but you know, you and I grew up during the like fat is bad phase of life. (laughs) Yep. Um, And a lot of people are still really in that mindset. How do you go about kind of breaking some of those uh, mental barriers down and like getting people to eat fats? Cause I know sometimes it's really hard for people. Yeah, it is. It is. Again, our mindset has just been so damaged from the messages that we received, but one great way And really, this is a way to kind of overcome everything is the feeling that you get. So we know that back in the days where we limited our fat, a lot of people were very hungry all the time, right? So you just ate carbs all the time and you were hungry. You just didn't feel satisfied. You didn't feel full. A lot of people were getting tired, more fatigued. So explaining the science behind that and knowing that, okay, let's try having avocado toast for breakfast and just tell me how you feel. 99.9% of the time that athlete feels really good (laughs) during a workout if they had avocado toast. So you say, okay, let's connect that feeling with what you just ate. And that's a motivator to keep doing it. Because once you change the way you're, you're thinking about the foods and connecting how you feel to when you're eating them and your performance, then there you go. Then behavior change happens. And then the belief system changes. So that's the best way to go about it is just to try it and um, just make it kind of a challenge. Sometimes it's more challenging than others. Some people are, are more have more difficulty challenging themselves to try new foods like that. But if you just do it once or twice before workout, or even maybe as a recovery after workout, it usually works pretty well. Awesome. And I think that's so important. Like just getting people to like, to feel the difference. Cause I do the same thing with my coaching and I'm like retraining movement is like, what do you notice? And really making them describe what they're feeling. So then they know that next time when they're by themselves, did I feel that? Or did I not? Um, I love that. Right. We all just want to feel good. It's I think a human response. So anytime you do something that makes you feel good, you're going to continue that behavior. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Um, switching topics a little bit, let's dive into the, you kind of started brushing on it. Um, let's dive into the inflammation part. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's a fine line because obviously we, our bodies need a little bit of inflammation to bring the healing properties to it, but we don't need too much inflammation to cause the problems. So, um, uh, you know, we, we still need to decrease our inflammation through the foods that we eat and not increase it. So I want you to dive into, and I know there's a very broad spectrum here, but talking about how food can impact the inflammation in our bodies. 
Yeah, you're so right. Inflammation is necessary. First of all, it's necessary for everything. So when we get injured, our bodies go into this inflammation response and that's so that your body can actually start the healing process. So we actually want some degree of inflammation. We just don't want too much. So a lot of inflammation comes from eating processed foods or a high sugar diet or, um, not eating. If we're fasting for a specific, there's inflammation that comes along with that too. So there's two things. I think a lot of people, when they're inflamed, say from a really hard workout and they're super sore, pop some Advil or Motrin, right? That's like a non-natural way to handle inflammation. So, I mean, it's necessary sometimes for sure, but if you're just talking about daily recovery from workouts and training, we really need to go the natural pathways So foods that are really high in anti-inflammatory properties, they're natural sources of anti-inflammatory, a way to control inflammation. So your body's actually going to take that in and use what it needs to help control the inflammation. Not too much, because you still want to have your natural, natural body, body's way of controlling that. And, and then it discards the rest. So it just takes what it needs. If you were to use like an NSAID, Advil or Motrin, it would just use all of it. And then it might be too much depending on what the inflammation situation is, is. So I always reach for food first because your body knows how to handle food first and the nutrients that are in food versus say like a medicine. Like I said, there's room for both because sometimes that's needed, but if we're reaching for anti-inflammatory foods first, it's going to be the best response to control the amount of inflammation that you need to control. Is there when we're talking about food timing, is there kind of a timing that we should do with some of these foods or more of just kind of like scatter them in throughout the day since our bodies, essentially when we're not training our bodies in recovery mode. Um, so is like, is there a timing factor with these types of foods? I always say like after a competition, your inflammation is usually a little bit more elevated than every other time of the day. Cause our bodies get really used to, I mean, we're, we're exercising all the time, right? We're training all the time every day. So there's a lot of inflammation daily. Your body's really used to that, but then you go into a competition phase and you're working at a little bit higher intensity, maybe for a little bit longer period of time. So you probably need more anti-inflammatory foods on after a competition day, than you do the rest of the week, let's say but you still need to spread them out throughout your whole intake during the week so that your body's used to taking them in. And so it knows how to utilize them and absorb them. And it, and it's used to the whole process that happens in the anti-inflammatory process. So the answer is kind of yes. And yes, like we do need to spread them out. (laughs) Always need a little bit more when we need a little bit more. (laughs) What are some of the specific foods that help with the inflammation? Yeah. So any of your omega-3 fatty acid foods that are high in omega-3s, they're going to be your highest quality anti-inflammatory source. So those are foods like salmon or other high fatty fishes, excuse me, like mackerel. Salmon is one of the highest sources, uh, flax seeds or flaxseed oil, chia seeds. And then there's other foods that also have it. Um, oh, I miss peanut butter and other nut butters, almond nut butter or peanuts and nuts, all your nuts and seeds are basically going to be really high in omega threes along with your fishes and your oils. Um, but then other anti-inflammatory properties are part of fruits and vegetables and fiber helps the inflammation process, anti-inflammation process. So it's really all your micronutrients that are going to help and, and just properties within fruits and vegetables that we can't bottle up in a pill. So I think a lot of people take like these anti-inflammatory pills or supplements. They're not going to have necessarily all the components that fruits and vegetables and grains and nuts and seeds 
and fish have. So the whole, those are the groups of foods that are really high in omega-3s. Okay, very cool. Let's take a quick break to talk about Venga CBD. I absolutely love CBD because of what it can do for the body with decreasing inflammation, increasing recovery, and enhancing sleep. Venga has an awesome product in the Ultra Gels to enhance recovery and also has their sleep product, which is amazing for both the recovery aspect because it has the CBD, but also the sleep aspect because it has a compound called CBN as well as melatonin. The other thing I absolutely love about Venga is it is made by athletes for athletes. So it is a highly tested product to ensure that it is high quality and is clean. I encourage you to go check out Venga CBD and test it out for yourself and see if you get the same benefits that I do. You can check out all of their great products by going to getyourfixpt.com slash VengaCBD. And if you use my code getyourfix at checkout, you can save an extra 20%. You can also check out all of my partners at getyourfixpt.com slash partners. And now let's get back to the conversation. How does, this all of a sudden got me my thoughts going, um, we're talking about fruits and vegetables. Um, if you like do juices, like natural juices, but, um, not the process, not the concentrate stuff that's crap. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if someone has a juicer and like juice their fruits and vegetables, would that still contain the properties or because like you lose some of the fiber in there, would it not? Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of juicing and I think there's, there's a place for it for sure. But I think if you're using it instead of eating whole fruits and vegetables, then you're missing out on the fiber and you're probably missing out on some other of the antioxidant properties in those fruits and vegetables. Also, I think if you love juicing and you use that as part of your diet, that's totally fine, but you also need to eat whole fruits and vegetables. Also, a lot of times too, if you're just having a juice, let's say if it's just a fruit juice, a mixed fruit juice, it's going to be really high in sugars. And even though it's fructose, so it's a natural form of sugar, it's still going to increase your blood sugar levels really quickly. So that could create some inflammation in and of itself. If you had a juice with a meal that was higher in protein, then it wouldn't do that. So it's still, you still have to look at the big picture of what meal it's, it's consumed with. So there's a place for juicing as long as it's consumed with other nutrients in the same meal. Okay. That makes sense. I guess one of the reasons I love my smoothies and like after my workouts is I'm like, yes, my fruits, my protein, my, my fats. Cause I put avocado in it. I'm like, it has I everything. <laughs> I know it's great. It's like one-stop shopping. You just throw it all in. There's nothing better than a quick meal, five minutes or less. And you can get all the nutrients you need. <laughs> right. And it's on the go. <laughs> my kind of cooking. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now I know we talked, we've talked about a lot of different things. Um, and I know when people like hear nutrition information, they get very like, confused or overwhelmed because all of a sudden they're like, all right, there's all this information. What do I do with it? Like, I have no clue. Um, so let's dive into some more like specifics a little bit for them to kind of give people some ideas. So, um, let's go like pre and post workout. Like what are some specific, easy things that they can do pre-workout, post-workout? 
Okay. Yeah, sure. Again, it's going to come down to the person and a, what they like. So you always have to focus your pre and post or any meal really around foods that you like. So if you, you know, if I say some ideas and you're like, Ew, I hate that, then don't put it on your list because <laughs> it has to be a snack that you're going to enjoy eating and look forward to. Otherwise it's just going to be like drudgery. So you don't want to do that. So pick the ones you like, leave the ones you don't like, and then thumbs up. Then you have like a lot of tools in your toolbox and go to meals and snacks to choose from. So some examples would be like granola and yogurt. So it's a great combination of, especially if it's Greek yogurt, high protein, carbohydrates and grains. And you could even add some sliced strawberries to that too. Cause then you're getting a lot of antioxidants, a lot of different nutrients that would really give you energy for your workout. That's a higher carbohydrate meal. So I would say that that's a good one for pre-workout because you're going to be burning those carbs during your workout. Um, even something like shrimp fajitas. So again, this is a great because it's high in protein. The wrap is high in carbs. You can throw in some veggies in there, but that's going to be something that may upset your stomach if you're doing a really high intensity workout. So I would suggest something like that for after. So anything that's super high in fiber would probably be better for after. Fiber is an interesting thing because we eat fiber to slow down our metabolism and make our bodies work a little bit harder and it can really clear out your intestines and, you know, you have benefits for your cholesterol and all that kind of stuff. But before a workout, especially a high intensity workout, um, whether it be CrossFit or running or, or a race, we actually want your GI tract to be pretty clear. Like we don't want anything left in there. So we want a lot of fiber left in there or we're going to have to stop somewhere. So we want to kind of limit the fiber before your workout. So I usually save the high fiber meals and snack snacks for after your workout. Cause that way you can still get all your fiber and nutrients, but you don't have to worry about the GI distress. So, um, shrimp fajitas would be for after a protein bar is a great snack for before because it's, it's pretty, um, most of them are low in fiber. So it won't bother your stomach high in protein and high in carbs. So it's got a good ratio to give you energy boost going into your workout. You just don't want to make, you just want to make sure there's not a lot of chemicals or artificial sweeteners or hydrogenated fats or anything that's processed in there. But there's so many great ones out there now that that's a good option. Uh, peanut butter on whole grain toast is one of my favorite pre-workouts. Again, it's fat. It's your good fat, your omega-3 fats from the peanut butter. It's protein again from your peanut butter and it's whole grains, carbohydrates from your whole grain bread. So there's a perfect pair. Um, another one would be a banana and almond butter. So again, banana is one of those great sources of carbohydrates. Throw some almond butter on there for your protein and your fat. That'd be good for before. A chicken sandwich is a great after workout meal because you can throw tomatoes and maybe some spinach leaves and have your grilled chicken on a whole grain bun. You got all your nutrients, macro and micro thrown right on there. So that's a good one too. Um, and a quinoa edamame bowl. And you can actually get creative here too and throw some carrots or cucumbers or olive oil-based dressing on there. And that's a great post-workout recovery meal as well. So those are kind of some of my go-tos and some of my favorite combinations. But I think just to be safe, if you want to create your own, as long as you're combining a carbohydrate with a protein and a healthy fat, you can actually make a meal with anything. If you just check off those boxes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. what are, because you didn't mention protein bars and I do know there are a lot of them out there that are filled with a lot of crap. Um, mm -hmm. what are maybe like three or four that are kind of ones that you would recommend? 
Yeah. I love cliff bar. I think it's like just a standard it's higher in carbohydrate and most of them are lower in protein, although they make a couple higher protein ones too, but great ingredients and no extra junk in there, which I, I love oat mega is one of my favorites. So that's higher in omega three fatty acids, and it's got a great protein to carb ratio. So I really like that one all natural. Um, a, um, the go macro bars, they're great. Um, again, a really good ratio of protein to carbohydrate and they taste good and they have a lot of different flavors. Those are probably my top picks right now. Okay. Uh, Luna bar is up there. I think some of them have hydrogenated oils in them if they're coated with chocolate and they also like the think bars, but again, they have some sugar alcohols in there that can bother some people's stomachs. So if you're using those two, for example, say like, because you have a long car ride or you're taking a flight and you need something quick to bring with you, that's fine. I just wouldn't recommend those for before a workout and just for GI distress reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Something that you said, something that triggered my, my thoughts for here that I am think it'd be helpful to talk about is water intake and, or just hydration in general. Um, I know like I have no trouble drinking water all day. I know a lot of people do. Um, there's a lot of differences as, or you hear a lot of different things as far as like how much someone needs, um, especially like competition time, race day, that sort of thing. Um, so what is like, what is recommended for water? How do we make sure, especially race day, if we're running a lot that we don't like overhydrate ourselves. So we make ourselves nauseous. <laughs> like how do we do all this? Yeah. Hydration is in some respects, it's more important than nutrition, believe it or not, because we need to be properly hydrated to absorb all our the nutrients that we need. And also to have our muscles work properly because muscles are mostly made up of water. And if we're dehydrated, we're going to lose power. We're going to lose speed. We're going to lose endurance right off the bat. So you're, you're at a disadvantage if you're dehydrated. So yes, getting hydrated and maintaining hydration is probably one of the most important things that we can do as athletes to optimize our performance. So general rule of thumb is to drink half of your body weight in ounces of water. And that should, should quote unquote, <laughs> keep you hydrated. Now there's another part of that story where we could drink water all day. And if we don't have enough electrolytes in our bodies, we will not absorb the water. So we will actually, it will just pass right through us and we still will be dehydrated, even though we're drinking all this water. So we want to make sure that your electrolyte intake is increased as well, which can be difficult if you're sweating all day long during your workouts, not all day long, but you know, for an hour or two during your training sessions, if you're a heavy sweater, it just means you're going to need a little bit more electrolyte intake during the day so that you can absorb the water you're drinking. If you're a lighter sweater, then you probably don't need as much electrolytes. And this will change based on the intensity of your workouts also. So if you're going for a three mile run today, when it's I'm in Connecticut, it's 55 degrees. I'm probably not going to sweat that much, but if I went for a 10 mile run in the 80 degree humid weather back in August, then I'm going to sweat a lot. So I need a lot more water and electrolytes on that day than I would today. So again, it depends, but, um, electrolytes are sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium. Those are, there's some others, but those are the four big ones. Sodium tends to be the issue among most athletes that are eating healthy, because if we're eating healthy and we're not eating a lot of processed foods, not a lot of things in packages, not a lot of things in cans, then we could actually be really low sodium intakers, which means we need to supplement sodium. So foods higher in sodium are good to add in like pickles or uh, broth based soups, 
ketchup or other condiments are higher in sodium. So think about those foods, adding some of those things in, um, to increase sodium intake. If you don't have a lot of sodium in your diet right now. And also if you don't have high blood, blood pressure. So all those things you have to take into account, all the other electrolytes, believe it or not, if you eat enough fruits and vegetables, you're pretty much going to be okay in that department. So you don't have to worry about it too much, but I would take a deep dive into it. If you're a heavy sweater, cause that's when your needs are going to be a lot higher. The sodium is one I had to start like, cause I pretty much just eat whatever, like protein, veggie, fat, like put some oil on the veggies and call it good. And, yep. uh, I just had to start putting salt on my veggies when I cook them just because I'm like, I'm not getting it anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great idea because you just need the absorption. You can do that. You can add salt. Yeah, there's also some sodium, um, uh, some electrolyte replacement supplements. So like noon tablets are really popular. Now Zim is another company that you just put like the little effervescent tablet in your water. Uh, you can make a hydration product. There's so many out there. Base salts, base performance makes a great base salt. And then there's salt sticks. That's like a pill. Those I probably wouldn't use unless you were uh, using them for a long race. I don't think you need to use them on a daily basis, but I have plenty of athletes that use base salt on their food when they're cooking just to increase their electrolyte. Oh, I, um, I started doing it a couple of years ago, just when I noticed my electrolytes were low, cause I can sense it now, but, yeah. um, I'll just put a, I have magnesium powder. I'll put magnesium powder and like a teaspoon of salt in my bottle of water. And like, yeah, that's that perfect. It actually tastes really good. I think. Yeah. And a really cool thing about using electrolyte supplements, even if you just put salt and magnesium in your water bottle, it actually makes you more thirsty. And that's a good thing. Cause if you're someone who has trouble drinking water, you will, it will increase your, your desire for water, mm -hmm. which is very helpful for people that don't love drinking water. And I think too, like it just gives it like, I think some people just the blandness of water, like they just can't tolerate it. So just adding that like little bit of flavor, I think can help too. Yeah. Another thing that's great is just adding lemon. I mean, it's not going to add too many electrolytes, but if you just squeeze some lemon, it could just flavor up your water. So it's not as boring, like you say, or, um, seltzer water is great because it's just bubbly. Again, I don't know if I would do that before a workout because that can increase some GI distress, but uh, herbal tea or even iced herbal tea is another alternative for people that don't like water. And there's another product that's called true lemon, which is just, have you ever seen this? No. They're little packets of crystallized lemon. There's no calories. There's no sugar. There's nothing. It's just crystallized lemon and it's a powder. And you just pop that in your glass of water, your water bottle, and it flavors it. It almost tastes like, well, it tastes like lemon water. I, I won't say it tastes like lemonade because it's not sweet at all, but it tastes like lemon water. Oh, so that's another way people can get a little bit of flavor in their water. Especially <laughs> for traveling. Like if you're on the road, you can't just have like a lemon slice with you. <laughs> right, right. For sure. It's very convenient. You can actually cook with it too. I love it. <laughs> that's awesome. I'll have to look for those. Yeah. Easy to find in your grocery store. Yeah. Very cool. We did talk about it a little bit. I, I want to dive in just a little bit more to make it same thing, like give some people some specific recommendations. And like you said, it will depend on the person, what their, their body tolerates, but, um, like, is there any specifics that you can give for food timing itself? Yeah. So, um, usually athletes need to fuel their themselves all day long, because kind of like what we were talking about before, we're always either preparing or recovering from a workout or in the middle of a workout. So if you time it, um, for most females, and this is what the studies say, but again, it's going to vary just depending on your metabolism. Most females really need to eat every three hours. Most males can last more like four hours just because our bodies are different and they have a higher muscle mass and 
Sometimes they may even be eating more. They need more calories. So they're probably eating more. So that's in general. So what I love to tell my athletes is really tune into your hunger. So if you eat breakfast at 7am, let's see if you're hungry by 10. Maybe, you know, maybe you're hungry at 930. So maybe we need to boost your 7am breakfast a little bit by an extra serving of eggs or whatever it is so that you can last that three hours. And sometimes it's a logistical thing if you're at work or if you're at the gym or if you're in school or wherever you are. So you might have to shift that around a little bit. And then your next meal would be around one, one, 12, one. Yeah. One. <laughs> so, <laughs> and again, tap into, are you hungry at one? And if you're not hungry at all, then maybe you ate a little bit too much for that mid-morning snack, you know, and kind of shift things around so that eventually you get, you teach your body to be hungry every three hours. Cause or as humans, we're really adaptable. So if you don't eat for six hours every single day, your body's going to get used to that because it's helping you out and it's mm-hmm. adapting and it's not a, a good thing to do, but you won't be hungry for six hours. I work with a lot of athletes who are like, I don't eat all day and I'm never hungry. It's because they taught themselves not to be hungry. So then you have to backtrack and say, okay, let's go on a, on a timing um, plan. And now you're going to train your body to be hungry. And then all of a sudden, bam, really doesn't take that long, maybe a week or so. And all of a sudden your body's hungry at those times. And therefore it's almost like an alarm going off without an alarm going off. Your stomach goes your alarm. And it's like, oh, wow, I'm kind of hungry. And you look at your watch and it's been three hours. Wow. Now it's time for another snack. (laughs) (laughs) That's really the most ideal way to feel your body. Okay. With female specifically, um, well, anyone who's not in menopause, um, you know, we obviously have our monthly cycle or 28 day cycle. Is yeah. there a difference in how many, like, depending on where we are in our cycle, is there a difference for like how much energy we actually burn and how much we need to intake? Yeah. There's so many factors when it comes to this, because your hunger is going to be affected. Your substrate utilization is going to be affected. And there's so much more research that has come out recently about this, so, which is really, really great. But I would, my best piece of advice to this is just to listen to your body. Your body usually tells you what it needs. So as you and I know, our cravings for carbohydrates get a little bit higher at certain times in your cycle. And a lot of us fight that because we're like, oh, I shouldn't eat too many carbs, but actually you should, because your body needs them and it's burning through them a little bit more because your metabolism spikes at that time. And then at the rest of the month, it probably is not going to be as high of a craving because there's not as high of a need. Your body's working so hard at certain periods. So it just needs a little bit more nutrients to make everything happen physiologically. So, uh, so yes, I would give into those, those cravings, make healthy choices. Of course, you know, when you have carbohydrate cravings, I don't want you to be eating Hershey kisses, a bag of Hershey kisses, (laughs) (laughs) but if you're making healthy choices and timing, it comes back to timing again, too. If we're fueling our body all day long, we are not going to have as many cravings because we're actually feeding your body what it needs when it needs it. So cravings won't come. And it comes back down to blood sugar regulation too. By eating throughout the whole day in, in intervals, even equal intervals, then your blood sugar is regulated. You never have a spike, you never have a dip and therefore cravings don't happen because you really only have sugar cravings, let's say when your blood sugar is really low. So if it's not going to get low, you're not going to get those cravings. Now, blood sugar can be affected at certain times a month with our cycle. It actually affects that too. But if we're actually offsetting that by keeping our blood sugar stabilized through the whole day, those cravings will also go down as well. Okay. Very cool. Anything that 
we have not talked about yet today that you feel is really important for people to hear? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, no, I think we covered so much. I think, I think the biggest takeaway is just listen to your body. I think, I think the most frustrating thing out there for athletes is there's so much information now, right? There's just information everywhere and it's coming from every single source. And some people, you know, have plans and books and supplements to sell. And I think we really need to be our own advocate and our own coach and say, what's the right thing for me? What feels the best for me? And kind of just quiet all the noise that's out there and focus on the evidence-based science that we have and then put that into play. And again, to take this back to the very beginning of our conversation, make sure that it makes you feel good. If it's something that makes you feel good, it makes you perform well, it's probably the right answer. Awesome. That's a great way to end it. (laughs) Um, Jen, if anyone wants to follow you, contact you, um, needs help with anything, where can they find you at? Yeah, I am on Instagram at Jen Giles Eat for Sport. That's a fun place to follow me. I post meal and snack ideas and just little tidbits of nutrition, fun stuff. I also have a free Facebook group where I really give away a ton of information and motivation. And that's called the Sports Nutrition Hub. So if you're on Facebook, you can ask to get in that private Facebook group. That's so fun. Um, I have a TikTok channel, believe it or not, because that's just the funnest technology out there. <laughs> um, so that's eat for at eat for sport. And then if you're a Twitter person, I am Jen Giles RD on Twitter. I say I have not, I have not succumbed to TikTok yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I was hesitant, but it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you getting on here and talking with us. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope you enjoyed that episode today. Before I close out, I want to talk to you about my eight-week return to running program. If you've been off running for a period of time just because life's gotten the best of you, or maybe you've been injured and had to take some time off, returning to running properly is key. Meaning don't ramp up too fast, too soon, or you're just setting yourself up for injury or perhaps re-injury. That's why I created this eight week return to running program. It ramps you up properly and safely so you can minimize that risk of injury as you return to running. So head over to getyourfixpt.com slash courses to check out my eight week return to running program as well as all of my other online programs. Thank you again for tuning in today. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.